Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Linda Lagarde Grover, who is a professor of American Indian Studies at the University of Minnesota Duluth and a member of the Boy Fort Band of Ojibwe. She is the award-winning author of several books, including The Road Back to Sweetgrass, Onaga Macing, Seasons of an Ojibwe Year, and In the Night of Memory, all from the University of Minnesota Press. Welcome, Linda. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. We're so happy to talk to you. We loved your book. Cannot wait to dig in. What would you like to read to us? I'm going to read a little section from a bit of fiction about the harbor in Duluth, Minnesota. Yay. Wonderful. So this is, this is a piece of a fiction work. Back of Maggie's house, Mickey stood at the shoreline and stepped onto snow-covered ice, his feet warm in Mr. Lukashevsky's boots. Like summer, he thought, wiggling his toes. Late summer, when we had to leave Maggie's and walk to the train to go to boarding school. Mickey walked lightly on warm concrete, a city sidewalk, his paws tapping a silent rhythm that left no prints. Behind walked his cousins, Gurley, Bud, George, and Vernon, resigned to grief yet hopeful, two carrying a lunch for the journey and extra clothing, one holding the hand of a small boy whose round face was shiny and stretched with crying, the sun in captivity. Weeweeb, Ma doesn't want us to miss the train. Bud hoisted the smallest boy up onto his back. They quickened their steps and Mickey became the wolf, leading the pack to the depot. Through his thin-soled boarding school shoes, his paws felt the hardness of hard concrete toward the main, toward the train depot, the silent pattern and unrelenting and unforgiving song repeating itself in his head and heart, one day, one day, one day. In the spring, they would retrace the steps, but in reverse their time at boarding school breaking season to season, life to life. Maggie's children and Mayingan created as everything else was to draw breath and appear to fulfill a purpose to leave. And of their time at Herod, surely their purpose there would be to witness, to remember. Now Mickey's feet, warm as summer in Mr. Lukashevsky's boots, stepped on to the frozen bay. 
They would take a shortcut to the depot, he thought, and not miss the train. And so that February evening then, the wolf, who was also both Waboos and Mickey, loped across the ice-crusted frozen bay, his paws tapping a silent rhythm so light that they left no prints. As he ran, a cloud drifted from the face of the moon that rising eerily exposed shadowed drifts and peaks of snow, then an expanse of whiteness and beyond that, the lights of the houses. He saw the way so clearly, the frozen white terrain reflecting moonlight past the blackness of night sky to the stars that grew to glittering flowers that bent in their heaviness toward the earth. In those contrasts of light and dark, Maggie's shingle-sided house was the color of the sky, the light in her kitchen window, a yellow, small and weak in the shadows of the green elevators that had become columns that changed from white to invisible columns and back again as clouds drifted across the moon. So too, my Ingen's coat changed its hue back and forth, back and forth, as he ran past elevators, A, B, C, D, along the shoreline, in and out of shadows, the color of lost lake on a summer night, in and out of light of the white of snow, ice and stars. He ran thinking of Maggie's house and of Maggie, Lewis, Helen and Beak inside. The kitchen light would go out and they would sleep in the sweetness of each other's presence in the little shingle-sided house. He ran camouflaged by his coat, that changed colors under the shifting light of moon, star snows. He ran through night air that cooled and soothed his chest and lungs so that his cough became a memory that could possibly never return. And halfway through across the bay, he thought about what a pleasure it would be to smoke a cigarette in the midst of all that beauty of light and shadow, stars and moonlight, snow and ice and the twinkling lights of downtown to smoke a cigarette without wheezing and coughing and spitting. And so he paused to light a match, inhaled to suck the flame into the end of the cigarette and felt the heaviness of smoldering tobacco sink down into his lungs where it entered his bloodstream that lit as brightly as the surrounding bay. Sagaswa, he said lovingly to the little fire at the end of the cigarette. Beneath my Ingen's feet, Beneath the ice where he stood, Mishabajig, the lake spirits, turned their faces toward the glow above and the outline of Mr. Lukashevsky's pair of winter boots. In their silent underwater way of speaking, they recounted to each other the old stories of conflict and revenge, of Nanabuju and his younger twin, Maingan of the sacred promise made to the memory of the ancient one, leader in generations that ruled the lake long before the memory of mortals. His death would be avenged and avenged again. The cold hearts of the Oshki Mishibijig heated and the surface of the frozen lake softened. Wait, the oldest and most experienced said to his underwater, in his underwater voice, as red winter suns throb beneath the large ice gray bodies, and they maintained their patience as the cigarette burned its way down, as the glow of orange dimmed and died. Bees and done, commanded the oldest. They listened as Maingan coughed deeply and sighed, and then the soles of Mr. Lukashevsky's winter boots began to move. The steps 
increasing in speed as Maingan resumed his lope, now heavier and tiring toward the shore. He grew cold and ran. He ran, boots now feeling like the concrete of winter. Ahead of the light, the lights of the houses near the shore seemed to grow no closer, but soon he would see them. Or should he turn around and go back to Maggie's? Would they hear the heaviness of his breathing that was now becoming a wheeze, a whistle? And would they look out the kitchen window, unable to see him but waiting? Home, he thought, home. Myingan's lope grew uneven and ragged. The boots made sinking through the crust of snow, blemished its shining expanse of whiteness with prints that ringed his legs, just the tops of the boots, and chafed his ankles. Puffing white puffs of breath, he turned and saw, he thought, Maggie's house just up again. Kitchen window again lit, a brighter yellow now, the moon lighting the railroad tracks along the shore to the color of the stars. I'll be there soon, Myingan said to himself. To settle his nerves, he stopped to roll another cigarette. Almost there, he thought, as he struck the match. And the lake spirits, who had followed the outline of Lewis's boots, broke the surface to once again seal the doom of Myingan, the little brother of Nanabuju. The story was true then, and it was true when Mickey, who bore the spirit of rabbit and wolf, repeated the encounter. That is how it was then and how it is today. I'm so glad you read that part. It's one of the most beautiful parts of the book. Alex texted me this as you were reading, and it's so true. You are such a wonderful reader. Oh, thanks very much. That um, that story come, is sort of um, an interweaving of a very old Ojibwe story um, and um um, a sort of fictionalized version of an experience in um, in my family and some of the people that my grandfather knew. And of course, I I live you know on you know near Lake Superior here, and my family and the Ojibwe people here have a long long history of living lives against the backdrop of that of that beauty and all the all the formidable oh dangers of the beings that live in the lake. Mm-hmm. Yes, I had never considered the way that you talk about it in the book, and it's and it's part of the Ojibwe um, stories. Is that there are there's a whole civilization that's not the word that you use, but that lives mm-hmm. these spirits that live under the water, um, way way down, and they see everything, and um, mm-hmm. it's so eerie and so beautiful at the same time. Yeah, it's more it's more than water and and little fish, isn't it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Linda, we were kind of texting throughout the week about this book, Lindsay and I back and forth. And one of the first things I was so curious to ask you was, is this a book that you had always planned on writing? Uh, you know, you've written so much, so many different types of things in your career, you know, short fiction, a novel, an essay collection. And I was wondering if this book was one that you were kind of building in the back of your head or planning to write at some point or did it arise more organically for you? I think organic is a is a good um, description of this. I I had um, various things that I had written and was you know holding on to and wondering you know if a time might be right that they would fit together, and then 
at some point in recent years, it it occurred to me that that our relationship with the with the old stories is is something that is so contemporary that we um, we we think of the stories, and I mean the stories are um, they're a way of recounting history and of explaining what is you know what is the the good way to live the you know minobimazi when the you know the living of the good life and um and of course the the stories are they are spiritual religious stories many of them and so how do those really combine how do they how do they intersect with with how we live life today and then it occurred to me that we actually I think are reliving those stories in um, in our own lives every day, and that it's always been this way. And so, when people say, "Oh, you know, the old stories—they're alive," they they are not only alive, but you know, they they are us, you know, and we are the stories. Yeah, I, I think it goes along with something <clears throat> I was thinking about as I read, which um, the 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 mixture of fiction and truth and myth and and even how um it's it's part of the Ojibwe beliefs that even things that don't make sense make sense because that's the way that the creator made them mm-hmm. it feels very modern in terms of how people approach writing because i feel like even when i was going to grad school you know 15 17 years ago it was well do you write fiction do you write memoir or do you write poetry and now I feel like it's more modern to say, well, it's sort of all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're all kind of here, which really this book is, um, there's poetry in it. There's, um, almost memoir pieces. There's these beautiful weaving of, like you just said, um, of all of it together. Um, and I wondered if that was sort of when you were thinking about making this book, like, was that sort of, um, like how you began to structure it? sort of thinking about um, all of these different pieces sort of coming together to tell the story in the only way that that you could when you're talking about the Ojibwe and about your own family history? You know, I, I think there's the, what I think, what would we call it, the story um, of, of what, is, what is happening today and, you know, the the past certainly and all that's caught up with it as you know as history goes goes on and i think that the many ways that that this can be communicated are not necessarily going to be oh um confined maybe to one form of of writing or communication any more than any more than we would um we would, um, oh, a story read out loud or a story read to yourself. It's, um, those are two, two different ways of interacting with a story, but the, but the, the soul of the story is, is there no matter how we read it. And I, and I think that how we might be, um, sharing these things, there are, there are many ways to do it. And I, I, I don't know, I, I guess organic, um, the word that Alex used is a, is a good one here, how, how it is meant to be. Ojibwe people have always, you know, there'll be, you know, often somebody will say, well, well, it, it, 
you know, it's meant to be, it was meant to be, Mm -hmm. and really giving thought to that, you know, what, what is meant to be, and am I really in, you know, in charge of this whole thing? Um, Mm -hmm. um, And I'm not, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Was it hard, because these are stories that you've had with you for a long time, and that, that, you know, you said for, for you and for other Ojibwe people uh, are alive and, and make up who you are. Was it a different editing process for you for the book? Was it difficult to know where to delineate what was actually going to be within these pages? And do you feel like you got everything in there that you wanted, Linda? I, I wrote the way that um, I think that um, I pictured someone speaking mm. or, or me speaking or, you know, my, one of my aunts or my dad speaking. And that's how I wrote. And so when I went back to, you know, when I'm um, rewriting and editing, I, I do, you know, take a look at that and see, have I, have I stayed true to the telling of the story to, or, you know, the, the, the interpret, was it the sharing of the story? Have I stayed true to, to what a, someone who'd be speaking would be intending for this to be. Mm-hmm. And so when I was, you know, going through and, you know, editing, rewriting and stuff, that was, that was what was, you know, at, at the top of the top of my, um, my thoughts here. That's such and a what, clear guide. I love that. That seems so direct. I love that. And what was the second part of your question, Alex? I can't um, remember. Just now. if it, it seems like, so it seems like you have such a, a clear understanding of, of, you know, okay, I'm going to, if I was telling this story, uh, that would be kind of my guide to keep what's in, if it's true to the way I would tell it, but it kind of, I guess you kind of answered the second part. I was just asking if it was difficult to know, if you got everything you wanted in, because it seems like this, it's such a rich book. And yet it's, I feel like because these are stories that you say, you know, have been with you for a long time that are very resonant in your, in your present life. If it was difficult to know uh, what, what to leave it, what to leave in, or if you left anything out. Oh, you know, I, you know, I think, I think everybody who's writing goes back and look, looks at everything and thinks, well, I would, maybe I would, maybe I would tell it this way this time. And it, you know, it's like with poetry, you know, a a poem is never done. It, you know, it's whatever form it is in print at the time. And that could be how it is with the, with what is, what is in Gitchigami hearts. I, I'm not really sure. I hadn't thought about, about it. Or are these stories in here taking another form in something else I'm writing, mm-hmm. you know, um, a shadow, um, that, that word palimpsest, you know, on top of another story. I'm, I'm working on a, a fiction manuscript right now. Mm-hmm. And are the pieces in Gitchigami Hearts present in that fiction manuscript? And, you know, without me really being aware of it and I probably because you know the old time stories are you know they're they're supposed to you know you know they they are certainly you know they provide instructions and you know entertainment and they are you know they're a guide they're a guide to a, a basic spirituality in life that is the way of of being Ojibwe and you know I I hope that that is present in in what I write 
you know, I don't, it's not just me doing this. It's a, you know, it's a whole bunch of people and generations and experiences in what is going into what is on the page. Yeah. And I, I think one of the lasting effects that it's had on me, um, is the sense that, um, that it's not the end that it's, it's you sort of, um, providing this history and these stories and these poems and myths and, and these, um, truths that you know in your heart, which I, I, I love that repetition of that throughout the book. Um, but, but it's, it's not, it's not that it's a starting place and it's not an ending place, but it's, it's, it's something for people to, to take in and to then, you know, make whatever from it. Um, mm-hmm. so it makes sense to me that, that in your fiction, it's, it's also happening there. It's, um, like you said, a palimpsest it's, it's happening because this is not, and get you gammy hearts is not the end of these stories. Oh, no. And, you know, there are many stories and, you know, the, the few that I have, you know, shared in Gitchigami Hearts, those are, those are a few. I mean, I don't know all the stories and that's the, I guess that's the, the beauty of, of Ojibwe of the, of that world is that there are some people who might know one story, some people who know a few and some who know a lot, but nobody knows all of the stories and nobody knows exactly where they begin and exactly where they end and exactly the, um, how they um, proceed. There's not a chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. So they are, they kind of spiral and braid and, and return to the beginnings and it's a, they're fluid. And yet at the same time, they are so, they are so definite. Mm -hmm. Were there other books, Linda, that you were thinking about or that maybe inspired you uh, to believe that Gitchigami Hearts could be possible? Or was it the kind of thing where you thought, I haven't seen a book like this before, I, I need to make it so? Or, or, or are, there other, are there other books in a similar tradition? I, I'm not really sure about that. There's, mm. you know, there's a, there's a lot of memoir and there's um, there's a lot of different presentations in memoir. I think you know one thing that made this book happen was when um, when I was um, when I and I wrote about this in the book when I I got an unexpected email from a woman in town right. not that many years ago, and you know I you know I just answered politely and stuff and thought well you know I'll I'll kind of put this to the side until I, till I get a feeling perhaps sometime for how, how, what direction this might go. And so deciding one day that now is the time, and then just putting a little, a little note on my Facebook page, this is a long shot, but somebody, somebody contacted that me. That was a while so ago. wild that, right. that <laughs> when, I couldn't believe that that's how you reconnected and that she, it took her three months to see that message, but well, it was, she was there. She wasn't, um, what is it? One night she was up in the middle of the night or something and just went on to went on to Facebook and, and saw oh this because we weren't wild. Facebook friends or anything. And, right. So, and that's how, you know, that's how things 
you know, that's how things have always happened. I mean, we have Facebook now, but, you know, before, before that type of communication, this is how things have always happened and, and how they will continue to happen. And it's one of the things that we, we don't understand and, you know, maybe we never will. But, uh, but, you know, what we need to do, I guess, I, what I have found is to, to watch for them and, you know, accept them, accept them for what they are. It's Mm -hmm. a, you know, miraculous thing, but it surely it happens every day, every minute. Do you think, because um, your, your grandfather is mentioned throughout the book, and then we get that story with um, Kate emailing you and telling Mm -hmm. you, um, Hey, I've actually met you before. And it was when your grandfather came to your house. And, um, and then we get the, the further story of, of sort of where he was at that time in his life. Mm-hmm. You think that his story, which is the story of your family and the story of the Ojibwe and the story of Duluth is sort of like the ghost structure of the book, because, um, because we do get more information on, uh, about him toward the end with that, that reveal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think- I, you know, I do think that it is, but he was a very humble person and a very modest person. And I, I think that he would, you know, he would just feel kind of embarrassed, you know, if some, if he were here and somebody said, so are you the ghost presence in this book? Oh. <laughs> I don't know what he would, what he would say, you oh. know, but I, I do think that. And I, um, and I, and I do think that, um, you know, I, I think it, it could be that there are people who are born with, uh, you know, I mean, we all are born with, you know, with our destinies and our, you know, the things we contribute to the world. And I, I do think that there are people who are born to do what he did, even with a, a really, really difficult life. I, I think that, you know, it was, it was his destiny. It was determined by the creator long before he was ever born. Um, for, for Kate, who has, um, I'm, I'm not going to share her name because I didn't in the book, but she has, along with Kate, a, a beautiful name that actually has a, a profound meaning in Ojibwe language, and, oh. uh, but it's not an Ojibwe name. It's wow. from another nationality. And, yeah. I, um, and when I found out her name, too, I, I thought, well, surely this is one of those, one of those things that was you know, meant to be, but that I certainly wasn't expecting. And having that happen just on the cusp of the, of the COVID epidemic, Yeah, you know, oh meeting goodness. at a coffee shop where we didn't touch or anything yes. and sat across a good sized table from each other. And there was a, there was such a, a, an odd atmosphere in the coffee shop Two people were, people were apprehensive. They didn't know it was coming. They were frightened even. And that might've been, for all I know, that might've been the last time the coffee shop was open, you know, until, until things cleared up. Wow. Man, remember those days? Um, oh, oh, yeah. Really hard. Yeah. Um, I absolutely loved the stone tomahawk chapter. Oh, yeah. Um, just incredible and beautiful and so moving and how it ends where it begins. Um, and, it, and also it's rumination on native art, which includes tourist art um, and how that was lifeblood for your ancestors and your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering if you considered what you do, this book and, and your, and your writing as a whole, do you consider, do you consider that um, 
art? Do you consider that art that you're making? Yeah, you know, I think I do. And um, it's, it's making things. I, I um, talk about my cousin Bob in here mm-hmm. in the book. And, you know, in, he's been, a, he's been a, um, a mentor and a guide to me for, for many years. And, you know, him, his saying to me, I, you know, I was asking him once, I said, how do you, how do you know? <laughs> what, what is this Indian art? What are we, what, what does it all mean? And he said, well, did it, did an Indian make it? Yes. So then it's Indian art, you know, that's how you and know. So, yeah, that's how you know. And so whether, you know, whether it is something that, you know, would you call like, um, you know, very, I mean, there's a very high end expensive painting and sculpture um, art, but it's the making of things and the, the using, the using of your, your body and your hands and that involvement that that's that spiritual and physical interaction with what you're doing that you're going to make something and and that you know the the when it is finished when it's done i mean we look at old pieces you know like the stone tomahawk in the antique store and you know the hands that that is that that has passed through the, the the maker's hands, but then anybody else who has touched it or been in uh, breathed with it um, over the years, you know that to me that is what that is really an, an essence of art. There, no matter no matter what it is. Linda, I was I was curious if Duluth is a place that you feel like people stay. Uh, I I've been I've been a couple times, and it's such a amazing amazing town and you know the i remember the the hills are what stayed with me just the absolutely shockingly steep hills and just the it seems like it has just an amazing art culture and you know a great university there is it the kind of place that you feel like people really don't leave because it's so special and kind of tucked away or has that changed over the years since you uh, you know over the course of your life you know, a lot depends on the economy here. And there have been times in Duluth where, where population has, you know, has dropped because of, um, you know, people just, you know, there, there just aren't ways to, to make a living and stuff. And so, you know, and this happens everywhere where times change. And um, right now, Duluth has, um, um, it, it has a, a lot of, a lot of the arts, I guess, you know, you know, theater and, and, you know, physical art and um, writing, there's, there's a, there's a lot going on here these days. But I think, I think Duluth itself, you know, as an entity, it's always there, but so much depends on whether people are going to be able to, you know, to, to buy food, you know, to be Mm -hmm. able to, to be able to, to afford a place to live. And so, you know, Duluth is, it is a beautiful place, but like the Lake Superior, the, the place has its own power. And, you know, I used that word formidable before, and I, mm-hmm. I, um, I think that's the case with the, the rocks here and the, the, the steepness of the hills and the, mm-hmm. the sacredness of mm-hmm. that big ridge of rock, you know, that runs all the way up into Canada. It's you know, you know driving here in the wintertime can be terrifying, right. you know, I'm sure. um, you know, and so I think a, a healthy respect for what is here already, what was created and, and an understanding that we are just, we are just living our lives and our stories against that backdrop. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, I was born here. So, 
you know, I, I, once I mentioned that, you know, I, you know, people, people love looking at the lake. I mean, I, I love looking at the lake, but um, somebody was talking about it, about the lake that morning. Um, and I said, you know, I drive every day. I drive along the ridge here up along the, the skyline on my way to work. And I said, I said, you know, I have to say that most of the time I don't even see it. Wow. And they, <laughs> and they looked at me just so shocked, like, you don't. <laughs> but, but, you know, I thought it is so present and so there, you mm. know, that I, you know, I rarely would I stop to look because it's, it's just there. And I'm, you know, we are all such teeny little, teeny little pieces, you know, mm. in the big picture here. Mm. It's almost like it's, it's a part of you now. It's, it's a part, you know, like you can take it for granted the way we take our ears for granted. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> But once they're gone, it's like, hey, hey, <laughs> <wait> yeah. <laughs> <a minute. laughs> I had no idea about um, the the Gabbro. Neither did bro- I. I I never knew that. I almost like when I was reading about it, I was like, is this a myth? Is this real? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and um, and it is. It's real. It's it's massive and and completely wild. And I can't believe that they tried to blow through it twice and it didn't work. Just, you know, and that's, it just wasn't going to work. And so, you know, what happened is the, the street, Superior Street, just kind of had to widen out away from the, away from the point of rocks. There was no way they were going to eliminate that. I mean, certainly it was, um, I, I guess you'd say damaged, you know, because, yeah. you know, you know, um, big indentations are there. But then there's more of the story, too. You know, I wrote about the um, the Italian immigrants who Piedmont, moved yeah. in and, you know, they're living in an area there, a blasted out area that mm-hmm. nobody else wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, thought, well, they can they can go live there. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, what was funny is a lot of them um, were stonecutters in Italy. And so they wow. came to a place where there was, was stone. They was actually surrounded. built the beautiful church there out of that same rock. Um, Whoa. Just, just uh, on the top of, um, you know, a few blocks up from Superior Street there. And they, they were stonecutters. So, you know, and I think that's an Ojibwe way. And it's, you know, we certainly don't have a corner on that. You know, um, what you have, what you are given, what will you make of it? Mm-hmm. You know, what will you make of it? And how can you use every single bit of it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and do it with a, you know the respect that it that it deserves you know it's mm-hmm. just it's not just ours to play with or anything you know it's uh it has its own soul I guess mm-hmm. there are so many funny little moments in the book as well that you just reminded me of one of them is you're talking to someone who's your cousin because of Carmi and <laughs> you say well we look like Italians and you oh. just <laughs> kind of oh. goes oh yeah sure yeah yeah he's a, he's a really he's a very very nice guy and you know he was not gonna say no you don't but <laughs> i remember so that so well you know very very courteous guy just kind of mm-hmm, yeah uh, that's great um I want to go back to what you were saying about making, making this book. And I want to know what that looks like for you. What does the making look like? How do you set about writing? Are you writing with a pen and pad? Are you writing on your computer? How do you edit? I want to know all of it. I write on the computer and, but I, I print it out. I mean, not every time I write something, but I, I print it in hard copy and then read it and um, make notes and cross things out on that hard copy and then 
go back and, you know, change it on the computer. So, um, yeah, the, the computer and word processor, that's quite a, that's, that's quite something. I'm sure just about everybody does that now. It's a, it's a miraculous thing. And I, you know, I enjoy that process that way. Mm -hmm. And I write in chunks of things. And so I have, um, I used to keep my stuff in a cardboard box and now, well, now it's kind of a mess all over the desk in put together (laughs) pieces, but I used to keep them in a cardboard box and in file folders and think that one day somehow some of these things will fit together. And so that is how I ended up with the, the first book that, um, the dance boots that came out in 2010 mm-hmm. was I I saw that there was a call for manuscripts in a in a uh, writing competition and I thought you know I think I could t- put some of these together and submit it so I did I chose eight things out of the box and kind of made sure that they fit together and submitted them and so wow. that is really how I've been writing ever since and so even though after a while, I moved from the cardboard box to one of those milk crates with the sliding file folders. Uh-huh. And that's kind of fun to work with. But I still I still like the piles of manuscripts, um, you know, pieces clipped together with good size clips, maybe sometimes in a manila file folder. I just kind of I like them that way. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a tactile thing. You can see them, mm-hmm. you can touch them. Mm-hmm. And you can smell it. Um, I'm one of these people who loves the smell of um books, mm-hmm. old books, new books, you know, and so um, I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm not walking around sniffing the paper, but I, <laughs> but I do, I do, I like the smell of, of paper and, and ink. Um, there's just, there's something about it to me that, I don't know, it's just, I think it, it kind of gets, well, how could it not get into your bloodstream when you're inhaling that, you know? Well, of course, and it, it it's sort of like, it's proof of your work, right? Like it's something literally every sense you have, you can take it in with, including the smell. It smells industrious. It smells like things are happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's communicating with me that way. Mm. I love that. And you say you're writing a fiction manuscript, right? Yes. Now. Uh-huh. Is yeah. that how you always work? Do you always know, okay, I know this is all going to be fiction. Um, or is that sort of like you're further down in the process of putting something together now? Yeah, I think it's it's a way a process has changed. I've I've um I've written like three fiction books that are about a region about northeastern Minnesota, and some of the places are are real and some are not. So Duluth is in there, and I have a fictional town up on the Iron Range and a fictional reservation. And so this manuscript is my fourth book like that. And, you know, um, it is new in that I'm really not selecting much of it out of my pile of stuff. A lot of it is just um, new writing that connects smaller pieces. So it's, that's been an interesting process in that way. But I, I like it, I kind of like it. And I like revisiting. I like revisiting the people in the in the books at different, different times of their lives, you know, from, you know, from when they're maybe, you know, times before they're born until times that they're, you know, that they're elders. So is this sort of um, 
a collection of stories or is it like a novel and stories or I I think it's more of a novel okay I mean it is it's it's done except for I mean the you know the first I don't know form of the manuscript is done and complete but there are some things that as I go through I I want to do a little right right around of of some of the things and so you know it's um like everything else I write and you know I have kind of an idea of where it might go but then I you know it will go the direction it's going to and so you know um what what I I guess what I would call a plot or or many plots will will change according to um I don't know to what's happening today I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to show the characters but also that sense of place and that sense of um time and change mm-hmm. over a period of time on a mm-hmm. on a fictional reservation mm-hmm. in um in our department, American Indian Studies at UMD, we we are we do a great deal with um, federal policy, with federal Indian policy, and that really has influenced my writing because someone who's reading it who is familiar with federal policy will go, "Oh yes, she is referring to this," but they do not. A reader does not necessarily have to have knowledge of this, but I will point it out to them that at this time we are in the boarding school era, or at this time we are during um, the federal relocation programs for young people. And so I will put that in there. I want people to to know that um, the stories in Indian country happened against that backdrop. Well, as everybody's stories happen against a backdrop of, you know, what's going on in the world outside of their, you know, their immediate home, you know. Is that sort of, I was really taken by one of the Ojibwe values of um, an extended view of time and a sense of place in time, space and destiny. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I felt like as a writer, it's so daunting, but it's also so organic to use that word again. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's sort of what you're working with. You Um, know, it's, it's so, um, it really is, you know, the foundation of being Anishinaabe, of being Ojibwe, you know, and that's a, you know, it is a, it, it, you know, they talk about lifelong learning, you know, that's kind of a catchphrase, but, but I, you know, I think that that is how traditionally Ojibwe people have approached life and teaching and learning. It's, um, it's just, it is always going on. And so we, we never ever actually learned anything. We've just learn something towards um, a larger truth, I guess. And so that is, it's part of being Anishinaabe and understanding that we don't really know anything at all. And that certainly keeps you modest, which is a good Anishinaabe person should be. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty guess- easy when you realize you don't know anything at all. Oh man, that's me. That's me right there. That's my everyday motto. I have no idea. It seems like, it that's seems right. like- we don't know what's going on. Exactly. <laughs> It seems like such a, um, like a fun place to start as a writer to be like, I don't know, (laughs) you know, but like, I'm going to write it down, (laughs) you know? And you know, the wisest of elders will, will say something like that about themselves, you know, something very modest. And then they will, you know, proceed to go ahead and tell you something, a truth that is, that changes your heart then, you know, and your life takes a, takes a great turn, you know? Wow. Do you have any um, readers that read your work before you've 
before you're done with it? Or is it something very personal that you keep to yourself and you decide when it's done before sending it somewhere? Yeah, I, I keep it to myself. I do. I talk to my husband about it and, you know, I mean, he's, yeah, he's like, like listening to this. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. But actually <laughs> he's, he's really a very, um, he's very good at finding um, and not finding, but just from hearing me talk, he will ask a question and I will f- realize that there is a hole in the plot here. Wow. And that, that is very helpful. And so, he so is listening. Yeah. And you know, that, that helps a great deal. And then um, he will react to characters and, and that makes, I think that reinforces um, their, their authenticity, their, their realness as people. He also proofreads things before, you know, the last thing before I submit, he goes through and he, um, he finds errors that, you know, I mean, you can't, you know, I mean, money can't buy that kind of um, relationship. No. I don't That's think. right. Yeah. That's right. That's <laughs> trust right there. It, you know, it is. And he'll find misspellings or, you know, odd things. And um, so it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really, really helpful. It's a, uh, I, I appreciate him so much in that way. What a team. I love talking to you because my mom grew up in Malacca, Minnesota. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you, and it's in, she has the exact same accent as you do. And it, it's really just, it's like home. (laughs) So wonderful. (laughs) See, and I, I never hear an accent at all, but once in a while I'll go somewhere and they'll tell me you must be from Northern Minnesota. (laughs) Yep. Yep. yep, And I think what accent? (laughs) What are you talking about? That's my mom too. She's like, stop. I don't, I don't have an accent. And we're just like, yes, you do, you know? We loved it. Loved it. Um, Linda, just want to thank you so much for coming on. This has been, this has been a blast. such a pleasure and an honor. Oh, yes. Thank you. Miigwech is the word for thank you. And my, my dad used to tell us that's, you know, if there's one Ojibwe word, you really, the one, you know, the most important is Miigwech. Thank you. And so that's, you know, I, I want to say that, you know, Miigwech to you, to you both for oh. talking with me. Thank you. It's Back been our you. pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely wonderful. The book is Get You Gammy Hearts by Linda Lagarde Grover. And it's um, truly wonderful. I encourage everyone to pick it up, read it, and let us know what you think. That was great. Yeah. What a what a great book. I can't wait to read her next book. Yeah. Um I learned a lot. Absolutely. I, ben uh, and I, Ben and I, at one point, we're going to run. I guess Grandma's cookies are from Duluth. Okay. They're, and they do a half marathon, and I oh, think cool. also a full marathon. And we were going to run the half marathon, and I'm glad that we didn't because I didn't know Duluth was so hilly. Oh my God! It is. Wait, have you been there or no? I've never been there. No. Oh my God! It is like insanely hilly. I mean, yeah. to the point, like, you know, you know, in San Francisco where you're in parts of San Francisco and you're like, what the hell, how does this, <laughs> it is like, it's like that. Wow. Um, I, my, I, one of my close friends is from Northern Minnesota and um, from Eveleth and um, we were in a band together in high school, me and some buddies. And, what? I didn't know you were in a band. Oh, I have a good story. I'm about to tell it to you. <gasps> so we, you know, we were like playing a few shows around, get writing songs, have whatever, you know, like the most fun thing in the world when you're in high school. And what did his, you play? A guitar. 
And yeah, Eddie, but but, uh, let me get to the story. It's quick. It's quick. No, you're good. No, it's like, uh, I just, nothing I'm doing, nothing about me is the, is the good part. So (laughs) Kyle, his name's Kyle, my buddy, Kyle, his uncle, uh, ran a recording studio in Duluth in an old church in Duluth and a huge old church. And it had just been converted to a recording studio. And so like, I guess the most famous person band that he had recorded up there was uh, Low, the band Low. Oh, I love Low. Yeah. Okay. So he recorded their record, Come On, in this uh, church, Sacred Whoa. Heart Recording Studio. And uh, if, you go- if, if you Google it, it's like beautiful. So anyway, he said, if you guys drive from Denver to Duluth, I will give you one day free. I'll record it. And you guys can find a place to, you know, we sleep, we slept in uh, like Kyle's cousin's apartment on the floor or something. And then I think, you know, spent a day kind of bumming around Duluth and then we drove back to Denver. And so we recorded like 18 songs that we had written in one day in this church and then drove back. It was like the most, it was like the best part of, you know, being 17, 18 or whatever, or 16, 17. I'm not sure how old we were, but so Duluth, I always thought like, oh my God, Duluth is, is this magical place. And then when I was a little bit older, like 18 or 19, I think, I can't remember if it was the summer. I think it was the summer before college or maybe after my first year of college, but I worked at a summer camp up in the Iron Range up near Eveleth. And we would go to Duluth on the weekends sometimes. And it's just like a really special part of the country i feel like yes so yeah it was so cool to to read this book and i i mean, you know i don't i haven't been there in many years but yeah it's it's a it's a neat place and the book i think does such an amazing job of like really positioning duluth as the unique and kind of haunting place that it is yeah the the part about the water spirits oh my that god will stay with me forever yeah there's so yeah. many beautiful and the 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 man who wandered out from the rocks, the mm-hmm. Anishinaabe man who ran out, who who wandered out from the rocks. And then she relates it later to a man who approached the school and tried to ask questions, but no one spoke his language. And then he just wandered on. It's like, it really is like time is just constantly circling back on itself. Good book. Good book. Good book. Good book. Good book. Uh, so you've had a wonderful past couple of weeks. Nothing's gone wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I okay. I got our my family got the stomach bug, norovirus, good old nor- norovirus at the start oh, of gosh. April. Like it took forever to to work its way through my family, so it was like every, someone was always sick for weeks, and then we got COVID, and that also took forever, and now we seem to be getting some kind of cold, some other kind of virus. Um, but at least today in Chicago, the sun was out. Today was beautiful. That like I, that made me feel mm-hmm. wildly better than anything else. Yeah. I was like, oh, I can live. I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> Did you know that we haven't had, or we've only had one day of sun in 45 days? I didn't know until Britt told me on the way out the door to work this morning. She was like, it's the sun is out. And I just saw, and she gave me that stat. So yeah, it's it crazy. Is fucked. That is so it fucked. Is, it is. It's pretty fucked. Yeah. I bet Linda would be like, oh, really? 45 days. Try living in Duluth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but oh other than God. that, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've felt like not motivated 
to do anything. Well, yeah, you guys have been getting wiped out. You kidding me? I know. It's crazy how that, it just makes you forget what life is like, (laughs) you know, because you just went through it too. Your family was sick. Yeah. Everybody was sick for a while. I feel like we didn't have it quite as bad as you. I feel like you guys are getting like the the, the deluxe order, but yeah, we had, (laughs) we had a stretch like that too, where it was just like, holy Christ, can't, can't get it together. The good thing is my middle child towns, my Mm six-year-old has um, started doing this charming thing where he goes, oh yeah that makes that makes my my snot taste so good and i'm like you cannot do this (laughs) you have got to stop and he's like oh yeah is he also like catching frogs out in the yard and like (laughs) oh he's like he's like my number today i was like towns can you go um ask daddy to help you wipe your face because you have like stuff on your face we were having people over and he just like stuck his finger up his nose like that was going to help the situation and i was like no man like go be he's just like he's a very unique individual he's like the most human person human in terms of like animal you know like we're humans are animals and he's like at the top of that an amazing dancer (laughs) (laughs) he's like the most physical child of that i have he is like i don't know he's yeah he's the one who's gonna hawk loogies and be like oh that's delicious i love it (laughs) so that's great that's something that came out of there uh Uh, yeah i'm gonna start reading erica krauss's book she's coming on very excited for that one yes when it when we first got i think uh Oh God, I'm blank. Uh, Lacey. Lacey Crawford. Lacey Crawford. Shout out. We love you. I I can't remember. She orchestrated that for us, right? I believe she did. Yeah. She reached out and was like, you have to read this book. Yes, that's what it was. I believe Erica's publicist reached out to us. Okay, right. Um, Uh, So that's exciting. But that was many months ago that it got sent to us. And I I read the first maybe 10 pages when it first came and I was like, holy shit. Like this is going to be... So this is going to be unreal. Oh, and speaking of, I am reading, I'm listening to Elon Mm -hmm. Green's book, Last Call, which is also true crime. I just saw that won some big award, right? It did. It won the Edgar for true crime. And it is so fucking good. Oh my God. It's almost like a, um, like a queer or or like an oral history of queer New York in the eighties and Mm nineties. And um, the way that he brings the victims to life is truly wonderful like at times i was like forgetting that they were victims because i thought i was just listening to this wonderful history of their lives Mm -hmm. um it is i feel like sometimes a true crime book will have a stretch where it's like it's just like plodding along and it's drudgery Mm -hmm. there's nothing of that here these people's lives are so whole and so beautifully remembered and um i don't know it's it's one of the best true crime books I've read in my life, I guess. Wow. So, that made me think of one of our listeners. I think her name is Eva Dunsky. Oh, yeah. Tagged, Shout out Eva. She tagged um, the show because she had picked up Down City, I think. Yes. Because, and I was, I was so excited about that. I feel like that's a book that I hope just continues to have a long, long life because yeah, it's I such a how special book. Eva said it was like uncategorizable. Totally. Um, Cause it is, it's like true yeah. crime, it's memoir, but it's, it's more than both of those things. 
that was that's probably the coolest part about doing the show is just occasionally you know one of these books will will pop up on one of our feeds and they'll say oh yeah i came across this for from listening to the show so that was really that really meant a lot that yeah we're here by taking credit for um rachel signer who was on a couple weeks ago Mm-hmm. for you had me at pet nat said suddenly people were tagging her a lot and talking yeah, we'll about take, her book a lot we'll take credit for that that's fine yeah i told alex that's that's us that absolutely we did that. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's it cool talk to you next um, time i'll talk to you next time bye. see you bud. i'm a writer but is recorded by alex hickley and me Lindsay hunter in our respective basements Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah.